0: With Inspire Podcast, we're dedicated to bringing you the latest research in medicine, dentistry, veterinary medicine and everything in between from both students and academics in language everyone can understand.
1: If you want to get in touch, please email us at inspirejournalpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find our website at www.inspirestudentjournal.co.uk where you can access original research and articles from students or find out about how you can get involved. I toyed with the idea of deleting Facebook this week because I decided I had like 500 plus, you know, friends on Facebook and half of them I don't ever really speak to. So I thought, well, if I deleted it all and then started completely again and had like maybe 40 friends on there that I actually spoke to and kept in touch and I could gradually build that up and use it as like a networking tool, like the next LinkedIn and speak to actually speak to those 500 people and keep in touch. But I don't know how much work that would be. 500
0: people that you're constantly in contact with.
1: Well, I read a thing about people who have this spreadsheet and they, they um, keep a list of their people and they make a thing to check up on these people every month. So you're constantly like, oh, how's it going? How did your book release go? Or how was your presentation last week? Just every month, you just send a little message. You kept in touch. You've touched base. And then if you need I mean stuff. that's that's networking
0: like tips right there. Bro. Like that yeah. sounds like a
2: full time job. Yeah. <laughs> you just spend all little... day all day just sending messages to people, just checking on like, Hi, how's your cat? And they'll be like, how did you know I have a cat? Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I stalked you.
2: <laughs> I know, yeah. Anyway, have you guys heard of Dunbar's number? Because this makes me think of of that. Obviously in my in my past life as a psychologist and biological anthropologist dunbar's number is quite a fun concept have you guys heard of it before Uh, it doesn't
0: doesn't ring a bell
1: i feel like it rings a bell but i can't remember what like why who is it's
2: it's relevant in like social networks. so it, it was proposed and it holds like a bit of water but it is basically theorized that 250 so dunbar's number is 250 and it's supposed to be the number of people that we can make a genuine connection with at any one time. So um, it's kind of theorised as like the, you can think of it kind of like the, the capacity of a human's social network, basically, like any more than 250. And it's theorised that you lose, kind of you, you lose the personal connection, um, and people become more, um, what's the word like distant? basically. So only up until that point. And it's, it's been tested like lots of times. For example, I think they did a study where they looked at the average number of friends that people have on Facebook across the whole platform. And at the time when they did it, it was about 250. But obviously, then that's the assumption that people actually have their real friends on Facebook, which lots of people don't, or people you've lost contact with. So There's just quite an interesting, I mean, you know, there there has to be a limit, right, to the human social network capacity. But it's just kind of like, I kind of almost don't see it as necessarily a hard figure, but just like a conceptual point of like, what is the limit and actually know.
0: But what is, what do you define as a personal connection? Because I think that's quite subjective to different people. So I think
2: it's, it's meant to be like the number of people that you can communicate with. And yeah, like know how they're doing, like actually have chats with them, conversations. And I think it's kind of, it's meant to be kind of like that you actually genuinely care about like and like the number of people you can like kind of genuinely empathize with at any one given time and if you kind of remove it and you make it a larger number of people then you find it harder to care so if you think of like at school if somebody in that school you kind of knew but you um i don't know something something they broke their leg or something you might think to yourself like oh that sucks But it wouldn't kind of be like, oh, my God, I didn't realise, like, that's terrible. Whereas if it was somebody maybe in your year group, within that smaller section, you might be like, oh, my God, and they may not be a close friend or anything like that. But it just kind of elicits a bit more of a reaction. So Mm -hmm. there's this idea that kind of, yeah, human groups were intended to live in small units that didn't exceed this number, because if they did, then things kind of don't work as well. And... You can draw, like, lots of conclusions from it, but I just think it's an interesting concept, really. It's quite
1: a lot. That, two hundred yeah. is, like, quite a big thing. Yeah, I think, like, to be I've... able to message. If you, if you did message to those people or text those people on a regular basis, you'd spend a lot of your day, like, because then they reply, then you reply, then they reply. Before you know it, four hours have gone by, and what have you achieved? Well, you had a nice chat, to be fair. I take that back. But yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, I suppose it would get yeah. on top of you, wouldn't it?
2: Well, I guess it's not meant in, like, a social social media context, because... Mm. You know, like, it, just because you you have a connection with s- around 250 people um, doesn't mean that you're going to be conversing with them 24-7. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, on social media, that's, like, that's the only way you have a connection with people, really, is by talking with them. Because otherwise, unless you're, like, reacting to their posts and stuff like that, which I guess if you think about it like that, like, reacting to people's posts, it's much more feasible that you could actually be engaging with 250 people at any one given time um so yeah I, I suppose then
1: that leads people but, to engage with you and then you build up your network those two exactly two people.
2: but then at what point does it become genuinely engaging with people and at what point does it become just part of the social media game right like yeah. how do you distinguish between those two things
0: I like also just because um, like reacting to someone's post or like giving like a comment that could be quite superficial. Like, I don't know how genuine that would be. Um, and would you co- would you count that as a personal connection ra- rather than like actually conversing with them? And also like, I feel like texting versus <laughs> actually say so physically speaking to them or in the virtual world as close as we can get to like, you know, FaceTiming someone, like video calling someone. I think would that be, I think in personally, I think that would rank higher in a personal connection to then just writing well done in a random post they may have posted
1: i also think that exactly what you said like linkedin you know when someone starts a new position it literally has say congratulations and all you have to do is click like their are pre-written messages mm-hmm. and it looks like you've actively been like oh hello but people know that and they see this message and they're like oh that's like an automated message like mm-hmm right on and you're like good thanks (laughs) that's not you um
2: exactly i think this literally highlights why this concept is so hard to study because it's it's just nowadays we have so many like weird ways of engaging and also the fact that engagement with people has become like an industry in itself so Mm -hmm. it further skews the boundaries but you have like like social media influencers who have I would say disproportionate engagement, but not necessarily disproportionate connection with people. But how do you separate their just business engagement with their actual real life connections? Very, very difficult. Um, So yeah, it becomes like quite a a hard thing to like peel apart really. But I do think it's an interesting concept because um, obviously like, we've talked about it in previous episodes that people people are you know lots of people are quite miserable nowadays and you know like that kind of that's that feeling that people get of being in a room with tons of people and yet st- still feeling lonely at the same time yeah. and this is thought to kind of contribute to that that we're connected to so many people nowadays that actually it dilutes the quality of
0: mm-hmm.
2: connection and it's it makes the isolating it effects cool. of social media yes exactly yeah. so yeah. You know, it's a hard one.
0: Which I think has become even more, if you talk topical, like in the past year. Yeah, I feel yeah like definitely. That's definitely gone up.
2: Well, I think actually it'll become more of a thing coming out of lockdown um, because people won't have been around lots of people um, during lockdown and then they'll come out and they'll be surrounded by people again. But we're going to have to socially readjust to being around lots of people and it's going to be quite a strange experience. So I guess for us, as like healthcare, we've we've actually had like our a, a fair share of human contact throughout yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. But for other people who aren't so fortunate as us, it it could end up being quite intimidating, like quite mm-hmm. anxiety-inducing when it may not have been before.
0: I think that I think that has been seen actually in like healthcare, uh, like deconditioning. They call it deconditioning from uh, lockdown like how people are adjust- adjusting back to it and the fears of like walking down the street to go shopping or going to the mall because it's opened up. And that's, it's quite difficult for people because they've been told for the past year to kind of stay at home. So food for thought, I suppose. Like yeah. deep discussion
2: for
1: the podcast, yeah. <laughs> isn't it?
2: Not even, the, not even the point of the episode. Now, now <laughs> the, the theme of the episode sounds comparatively not as great, but I'm sure we'll have a, we'll have a great discussion about it. Yeah.
0: Um, so, so in this week's episode, we we're playing a game called Mid Constructors. So we're back with another episode um, where so in, basically in this game or in this kind of episode, we will be taking a clearly false statement and trying to build a sort of evidence based argument for why it's true. Um, the goal is to demonstrate how even high quality research can be skewed to support inaccurate claims um, and hopefully have a few laughs doing it. So, Today's statement is, should we reheat rice? Uh, I think that's something that is quite commonly heard. I mean, I've certainly heard it before, and people have certainly wondered if we should or shouldn't. What do you guys?
1: Well, I've always read that I shouldn't, and yeah. I, it makes it make sense. Like, especially, like, look the papers that I found, a lot of them were yeah. kind of like, oh, don't do it um, because of X, Y, Z, which we'll come to. Mm-hmm. No spoilers. Um, but I have been reheating rice for a very long time I will make rice I will freeze rice and then I will reheat rice because I just I batch cook that's what I do I, I love a batch cook me um and I have touched wood never been ill with it so I wonder if there is a myth to be busted here
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know
2: well yeah, I think
0: we'll see
2: <laughs> I've always I use a rice cooker it's like one of the the essentials of my like kitchen basically Um, but it has quite a useful function that it can keep your rice hot throughout the day, but like quite hot, like not super hot, but hot. And we will discuss how that is significant as well. So I think I will, there's some kind of like more generic information that we can talk about when it comes to like, why is it bad to reheat rice? Um, Why is it generally thought of that it's bad to reheat rice? Like what's going on? And why might it end up making you sick? So I'll cover that base and just give a brief overview. Mm -hmm. So uh, the main concern with rice is that just like really any grain, there's lots of bacteria and yeasts and stuff like that living on the surface of the rice um, just as standard. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, For example, like bacteria and yeast living on the surface of Flour and grains, sort of barley and stuff, is the entire basis of making, of brewing, of lots of like important domestic cooking processes that we're pretty used to all the time. So, just the inherent e- existence of bacteria isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the bacteria that are typically found on rice, so they're typically you have kind of three species or two kind of main species from the Bacillus family. And it's especially Bacillus cereus, I think it's the main one that is, is typically found on rice. So what can kind of happen is <clears throat> when you cook the rice, um, an important thing to realize with any bacteria, really, is that when you get sick because you've eaten food, it's not because it has bacteria on it, because cooking food kills the bacteria. And in fact, actually, your stomach acid will kill the vast majority of bacteria, bacteria, or fungi, whatever, um, is going to be on your food. That's not the bit that makes it bad. It's actually the toxins that are produced by the bacteria that aren't necessarily broken down by the cooking process. So, the concern when you eat rice that has been um, reheated, basically, is that you've effectively cultured Bacillus cereus psor- on the rice. And they produce a toxin called, um, I think it's cereatoxin toxin or something. It's, it's a it's a type of uh, enterotoxin. So a toxin that affects your stomach. Let me just see, cerealide, That's it. Mm-hmm. So it's called cereolide And the cooking process after when you say you heat the rice up again, it won't kill that. It won't it won't get rid of the toxin. It will get rid of the bacteria, but it won't get rid of the toxin. So. You're eating rice that has this toxin still on it and you're going to get sick. So there's two different types of rice food poisoning. The first is um, two catchy names. So there's the diarrheal type and then there's the emetic type or the vomiting type. So they kind of happen for different reasons. So what I was talking about just then is typically the emetic type or the type that will make you vomit. Um, and that's generally because of the presence of cerealide or the emetic toxin um, in the rice. So if, say, you you cook your rice and then you let it cool down to room temperature, giving the opportunity for the bacteria to grow, but then you heat it up again, you will kill off the bacteria. But you may not kill off the cerealide, or you'll, there may be enough of it to make you sick. So when you eat it, your body instantly rejects it and you vomit it up. Um, and so that's a concern with heating rice. The diarrheal type, which is where the rice isn't cooked at a high enough temperature to start with. And unless your rice has been cooked at a temperature over 100 degrees Celsius, there's still the possibility that um, that Bacillus cereus could still be alive in the rice. So you go and eat the rice, the bacteria was never killed in the first place, and it's not quite known exactly how this works, because technically, your stomach acid should kill the bacteria. But it's thought that what happens is some of the bacteria gets through into your small intestine, and there it produces these enterotoxins that then, you know, it's too late to vomit. So that's why it leads to diarrhea, basically. Um, But that's kind of how not reheating your rice properly can lead to food poisoning. Um, So the key points to really take away from the basic information is it's very important that rice is stored properly so that it's stored in a clean environment, uh, that it's when it's cooked, it's heated beyond well, beyond hundred degrees Celsius um, at least for a certain time to make sure that it's sterilized. And then once it's cooked, It's not allowed to cool down to room temperature. And if it is allowed to cool down to room temperature, that it's consumed as quickly as possible. So those are kind of the three top tips that can make sure that you're not getting, not the worst food poisoning, but, you know, nobody likes food poisoning.
1: So I found, so you're saying that the emetic strain, I don't know if I've got this wrong, emetic and diarrheal are two different strains of this because in a paper that I found it it said that there were two different strains of um bacillus cereus cereus Mm. um cereus (laughs) and the emetic strains survived better than the diarrheal strains so the emetic emetic strains were like wow we're so toxic and we're going to survive anything but the diarrheal strains are more likely to be killed by like like reheating it so that's a bit safer and a bit rarer is that like Mm. similar to what you found or was it like more like one strain could cause an yeah i didn't
2: i didn't get mention of different strains There are different species so there is there's bacillus cereus there's bacillus um oh i can't remember the other one as with most, sorry
0: Pumilus. is that the other one i was thinking
2: of yeah that's that one's quite rare there's there's one that's yeah that's like quite more, rare that's like
0: case studies for
2: it, yeah I mean. exactly uh there's one that's more um god i can't remember uh anyway like as with most bacteria the name is not the catchiest but um there are different species i know that i don't know whether it's different like from what i found it was mainly just that it can be the same strain but it just depends on how you've prepared the rice so like if you've sweated the rice as opposed to properly cooking it yeah then it may not be good for you and the other thing, like I said as well, is like if you've had like B. cereus* or E. coli or something in the rice and it's produced its toxin, uh, cooking it isn't going to help anymore at that point. Like you can reheat rice that has had um, B. cereus* in it all you like. You're not going to get rid of the the enterotoxins that are within the rice. So you will vomit when you eat it.
1: Okay, because mm-hmm. I think this paper was saying that they um, had two different strains of Bacillus cereus, and they heated it, then they cooled it down, then they heated it up again, and all three of the different strains were inactivated, but the emetic strains were just a bit stronger. Like they were the ones that were inactivated the least, okay. um, which I thought was like kind of cool. That was just a separate paper. I yeah. don't know how reliable this like source was. It was 1984, <laughs> so stuff yeah. might have come further since then <laughs> um, awesome. so yeah take
0: with a pinch of salt because mm-hmm. I got a 1974 paper as well and I think they had like it was more about the sort of serious in cooked rice and like it was connected to a lot of like takeaways um kind of Chinese uh Chinese takeaways fried rice like a typical medical textbook presentation if you if you will um and like they said so they're kind of Tips from their research was that rice should be boiled in like small quantities on several occasions during the day, thereby reducing the storage time before frying. Because that's what a lot of restaurants reported for batch cooking. So that kind of comes back to their batch cooking um, method. Because in a restaurant, obviously you can't cook individually. It's quite difficult to do that. So they said that it should be cooked in small quantities, but you can do it several times. Um, so you reduce the storage time. Uh, before frying, and then um, after boiling the rice. So that comes back to like, you go above 100 degrees because boiling is uh, over 100 degrees. Um, I was but they didn't give a temperature there. Um, should either be kept hot or not less than 63 degrees. So that's probably coming back to like a slow cooker point, Sam, where like it keeps it quite hot. Mm. Or you cool it really, really quickly, transfer it to a refrigerator within two hours of cooking. So it shouldn't be left out at room temperature for a very long time and um for cooling the rice especially for large bulks of boiled rice it will be hastened by dividing the product into separate portions of spreading the bulk in a clean shallow container so quite common stuff like common logic stuff but like i think a lot of people just don't think about it because you know why would you well yeah
1: uh, sometimes you batch cook and you leave it to cool on the side don't you and then you show it in yeah. the freezer and it's been four hours and you just think oh whatever it'll be
0: fine <laughs> yeah um and they said apparently the temperature range that they found is like you should never leave boiled or fried rice in warm conditions between 15 to 50 15 degrees 15 to 50 degrees five zero which is like a warm room like that is your room temperature basically um and they also had a comment about beaten egg so they said the beating beaten egg used in preparation for fried rice should be freshly prepared which oh, i don't geez. know why why it wouldn't be but yeah
1: well, I suppose does that mean that, like, if you did make fried rice and you reheated it, you would yeah. like the egg wouldn't be safe either? Is that what they? Mean? I don't know. That
0: Maybe mean? I, yeah, not entirely sure. But that's that's so from the nineteen seventy four picture, <laughs> uh,
1: picture that's... paper. They're saying you can't leave your rice at room temperature at all. They're saying for not more than two hours, I think. Okay, I was going to say so... So, like you have to go, <laughs> to go to the Arctic to eat
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> so they said for more than two hours so they so cook rice can be uh so under no circumstances therefore should cook rice be stored at kitchen temperature for more than two hours so you have two hours to cool it down and then you have to refrigerate it okay. no pressure <laughs> no pressure two hours that's it <laughs> Just to set a
1: timer you might have to start yeah i'm gonna have to start setting a timer i think although i did find on one of my papers that um they managed to eliminate this bacteria Strain completely by using electron beams. So if you had one of those in your kitchen, I think you'd be fine. I do casually do, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) like a blowtorch, but an electron beam. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think that's a common like household staple. Um, but it did say that a normal electron beam doesn't doesn't really work, but this special special type of electron beam does. So there you go. I don't know, little extra. And they also found a different paper. Sorry, I I did a lot of research on this. I found like four different papers. I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into like the weirder sides of reheating rice. But I found this other one that said that they'd made a predictive model for the growth of this bacteria during the cooling of cooking rice. And it managed to successfully predict um, the growth of bacteria, depending on like how, like the temperature that you cooled it, how long you left it for, um, Mm -hmm. to sort of help, restaurants, I guess, and like food preparation on a bigger scale. So they could look at their little chart and say, oh, that's not safe. Um but yeah, I thought that was quite cool. You'd get one of those in your
0: kitchen.
2: I guess rice is one of those difficult foods because it's often it's made in such a large quantity um that it's hard to guarantee that you're gonna get rid of all of it when you've cooked it. So it can Mm -hmm. it's it's I feel like it's one of those kind of food that is susceptible to being left out to being reheated and things like that and it's just you know it's it's difficult to difficult to deal with isn't it um, like how I'm,
1: many times have you made the wrong amount of rice like the number of times i poured in too much into the little thing like tried to do the mug test and every single time I got it wrong and ended up with like a portion of rice the size of my thumb or a portion of rice the size of Jupiter like it's just I never managed to get it right
2: I actually well I, I, I'm a special snowflake, but I uh have like a set amount of weight in grams of rice that I cook for each meal. So I know that like this is the exact amount of how much I make. So it ensures I never really waste anything. Um so that's always an option for people. Um, if they're concerned <laughs> yeah. about just food waste in general, um then yeah, like measuring out food, um it's not only good to know how much you're eating, but also it's 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 good to make sure that you're not leaving rice sitting around, rotting, and whatever. There's so many. You, you can see lots of pictures on the internet of people who've just kind of left rice in their rice cooker and just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And it is like, I feel like in in uh, they should probably start using it for um, for like lab cultures instead of agar because it really <laughs> does grow bacteria exceptionally well. Rice Like, like it really I've does. I've Never seen anything. <laughs> really grow good substrate. Yeah, really exactly. we yeah, can start. I'm sure it's, I don't know if it's cheaper than agar, but.
1: Well, I was gonna say like rice agar. I don't know if that's a thing.
2: I don't know if that's a thing either.
1: I'm looking it up right now.
2: Yeah, it's worth, worth Yes, rice it.
1: agar is a thing. Rice oh, agar look for, that. for the differentiation of yeasts. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, there you go. Rice. I thing. think
2: having, having a rice cooker could also help as well. Um, because it does ensure mm. that your rice is kept at a temperature well above room temperature, even mm. when you're not eating it. Um, obviously it's gonna drain a bit more power, but it's you know at least gonna keep that rice safe mm. as long as you're gonna eat it later on in the day. So that's always an option as well. Um, just just make sure that it never fully cools down. You should be perfectly okay with your rice. But I actually found another um and this was a really big story a couple of years ago um but a non so this technically doesn't have anything to do with reheating rice but rather just rice in general um so one of the problems with rice is that it ends up with a lot of arsenic in it um partly because it's grown in, in like an a very aqueous environment so most most arsenic that makes it into soil from things like mining and industry and stuff like that um doesn't really make it into like it does make it into plants but it only ends up in plants in very small amounts but rice is different because instead of soil kind of being the substrate um you have rice paddies are flooded so it's more of like an aqueous substrate which has a capacity for holding a lot more arsenic in it and it's meant that the amount of arsenic in rice has quite significantly increased. And like arsenic in foodstuffs is not uncommon. Like you hear a lot about with with seafood, for example, that seafood contains arsenic in. But from what I read, it's an organic form of arsenic, so it's less serious. But because it's not it's not coming from pollution, it's not coming from industrial. Um, the the kind of fish form of arsenic. It's kind of just a, a I don't know exactly what it's for uh, in like a marine context, but it's coming naturally. Whereas the arsenic that's coming in rice is industrial arsenic, so it's from an inorganic source, and so this has caused quite a lot of concern about um, the consumption of rice just in general that if, you know, arsenic pollution in rice paddies is becoming more significant. So is this something, especially since rice is, I think it's the most consumed, at least the most consumed grain in the world. It might be the most consumed food, full stop. So this is obviously something that is quite concerning. I don't know whether you guys remember hearing about that.
1: I actually don't. No. That's like news.
2: It was a really big, it was a, a huge story, like, couple years ago i remember it coming out and it's recommended that you you soak your rice overnight if you're going to cook it um Mm. because it's meant to get the i mean washing your rice is like a standard thing you should do anyway because otherwise you end up with a starchy mess but um yeah it's it's quite interesting to think about um
1: arsenic
2: arsenic yeah
1: who knew (laughs) we're poisoning ourselves
2: I know, but
0: right? you know like rice. I mean, it might just be something that my mom always did. She always soaked her rice overnight. Uh, I don't know if that's part of like how she was taught how to cook, mm. or is that like it's in the uh, Indian cooking and things. But um, it's interesting.
2: Like, yeah, it kind of makes you think. It sometimes makes me think twice about it. Think twice about rice, but yeah, because it is a bit of a pain to have to soak it overnight frequently I mean like I said like washing the rice I don't know how much of an effect that has but I think the jury is still kind of out on what are the the real health impacts of the arsenic in in rice still and I did find an interesting paper that came out in nature this year um, that talked about making kind of cellular methods to rice to because rice is quite high relatively high in arsenic, but relatively low in selenium. And obviously selenium is quite useful. Um, So they were trying to basically switch uh, rice metabolism to a more sulfur dependent pathway to basically ensure that arsenic is then stored not in the rice grains, but in different parts of the plant. And instead selenium is stored in the grains to kind of like cure, like to, the problem in two parts at
0: once
2: which would be quite interesting i think is it seemed to me like quite a theoretical paper but um it does show some promise i guess but yeah quite concerning i i I personally i completely forgot but i thought it was something that only happened a couple years ago or that came out a couple years ago but actually if you look you can find papers from the early 2000s that talk about Mm -hmm. arsenic and and rice um so yeah Food for, food for thought. If you
1: pardon the so, part. the answer is really... no pan intended. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> like, don't eat rice at all. What well, I do, you'll poison mm-hmm. yourself and um, give yourself vomiting and diarrhoea bugs.
2: I think it's 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 a difficult one though because while so while it's easy to say rice has arsenic in it, so you shouldn't eat it, and you're going to get cancer if you eat it. Uh, because obviously arsenic is a is a carcinogen um that being said some of the populations with the lowest rates of cancer in the world depend very largely on rice it's like the staple in their diet so japan and um some like countries in southeast asia and stuff like that where you have very long life expectancy and you know like it, the picture doesn't quite play out how you might expect it to if rice is really ridden with arsenic and if it's really having these impacts I mean you can make the argument I guess that the industrial pollution of rice paddies it's probably too soon to see lots of the impacts of this kind of thing so that is something to think about but like I said it's still it's very unknown how much of an impact this truly has on um, on like you know health and things like that in the long term so it's it's very difficult to know but obviously i don't think i don't think we can really say i don't think it's necessarily responsible to say everybody needs to eat because um it's the most eaten food in the world yeah. and i think I saw something in, in 2015 the uk ate 150 million kilograms of rice so yeah like i think shouldn't shouldn't uh shouldn't get ahead of ourselves but it is something that's interesting to think about that may become mm-hmm. relevant in the future
0: yeah and I think there's definitely more kind of like research and stuff that needs to be done it's it's one of those that needs to explode needs to be explored a little bit more I think it's also so one of these difficult
2: it... situations where you can demonstrate that something you know this bad thing exists in our food but then what are the long-term impacts and at the end of the mm-hmm. day you you can only wait and see but the problem yeah. is like well if we're waiting and seeing then what, what happens to people in the meantime um yeah it's it's really good because you hear about it so and I feel like it is so much the case nowadays like we do have such an impact on the planet for good and bad um and it's very hard to know like what the long-term impacts of these things are going to be especially when that impact will not come to fruition Until, you know, individual lifespans are finished, it's very hard for us to kind of look forward and care that much about what happens then. So it's really difficult to kind of make informed life choices. Um, I kind of get balance between being cautious about things like this and then also balance between still being able to live like a normal life and not be like, I can't eat fish because of heavy metal poisoning. I can't eat beef because of antibiotics, all that kind of stuff. Like at the end of the day you'll be left nibbling on wood, but that probably has something in it as well. So it, it's just really difficult like to It kinda of
0: comes back to sorry. It kinda of comes back to the whole concept that you can get you can get uh, hurt just crossing the road. Like yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: That's what I'm life hurts. Like, Have life hurts, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um like you have to strike balance because you can't be afraid of everything but then I don't know choosing yeah it's difficult one to answer
2: yeah I find it's actually like quite because you know when like people talk about like especially nowadays people think about like optimizing health and like optimizing like every single bit of their lives but at the end of the day like if you completely like optimize I mean like the ideal place for your cells to live is probably in a lab in a petri dish and that's not very fun is it like i don't think anybody really wants to live their lives so, actually you know what live your life suspended in agar that sounds quite fun i kind of want to try that but
1: <laughs> what living and, in agar
2: yeah like, living like, right, agar. having yourself yeah no, know like su- suspended in a vat of agar that as long as you have like a breathing tube that actually sounds quite fun <laughs> anyway like i'm getting sidetracked um but yeah like I think, yeah, life really is a balance between, you know, you want to do enough that you enjoy yourself at the same time. Like you want to try to stay healthy, but you can't, I guess you can't really optimize. You can't like micromanage your health in a way because most of the things people are going to do that they're going to enjoy or that they have to do to live their life is going to have some impact on your health. Like you can't really have everything. So it's it's quite like like a, a redundant concept sometimes in terms of like i need to make sure i get this much of this vitamin this much of the other and this much of this thing and it's like well it's so variable that you know it's difficult to know exactly what you need and is it going to really be worth going to the effort of doing that
0: it's like even things like okay if putting in a clinical context like what i see like certain procedures right there are risks and benefits to as minor of procedure or versus as major procedure they could both have a certain amount of risks about like risk and benefit over there but you still get the procedure done because you require it you you take those risks on board and then as long as you're aware of it which is what it is i think
1: <laughs> yeah i feel like we've um done another construction of the myth rather than no busting of the myth no we haven't construct
2: no we did we well it's not it was, re- it was never it. really it was a myth true. was it that's the <laughs> no. thing yeah like
0: I mean, yeah, the NHS do, rights. yeah. Like, I think government guidelines and NHS guidelines do say do have guidelines around reheating rice and things because mm. there have been multiple outbreaks, um, across globally, um, regarding this. So, yeah. I think it never was a myth, but it's good to look at. It's it's been interesting to look at the research and the science behind it.
2: Yeah, and it's definitely not like a always bad to reheat rice kind of thing. Like, you have mm-hmm. to think about. You know, you have to think about the living, there are living organisms on that rice that are producing toxins that can make you sick. So, if that rice is kept and stored and prepared in a way that will not provide a hospitable environment for those organisms, then it should be fine. Like, the answer is kind of you shouldn't really reheat rice unless you do it in the right way. But that being said, it's not impossible to reheat rice in such a way that it's going to be okay, but that being said, if you have rice that, say, has been left out at room temperature, there's no amount of of lazing that rice that's going to get rid of those toxins on it. Like that rice is done, and you should not go eating it.
1: If you want to get in touch, please email us at inspirejournalpodcast at gmail.com or contact us through our social media. We've been Ellie, Sam and Natasha bringing you another episode of the Inspire Podcast. Please like or follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Inspire Journal Podcast and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcasting platform. Don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you the content that you love. The Inspire Podcast is brought to you by the Inspire Student Journal. You can visit our journal website at www.inspirestudyjournal.co.uk to find out more. See
2: you next time. We're students and we're all still dining, so we appreciate any comments, feedback, or error-aggressions related to the topics discussed. If all research presented are directed at the of recording, any medical information provided does not constitute official medical advice. Consult your own position for any medical issues that you may be experiencing. Use expressed in the Inspire Journal podcast, are of the hosts and guests, do not represent the views of the Inspire Student Journal or any institution here you are attached